0: I'm definitely one to geek out on good gear. I used to work for a shoe company and I've always loved interviewing people who make outdoor clothing and equipment. Recently, I walked into an REI store and there were these jackets and vests that just jumped out at me. They were brightly colored and they looked cool, festive and fun. The clothes were made by Cotopaxi, an outdoor apparel company that started in 2014.
1: The people that actually make our gear. They're incredible artisans, incredible craftsmen. These are the, the unsung heroes of the outdoor industry. But we thought, what if we gave them the choice to go design the bags? And so we gave them an opportunity to do that. And we said, we want to use all this remnant and we want to challenge you with one thing, to make no bag alike. Every single bag should be one of a kind.
0: That's Davis Smith, the founder and CEO of Cotopaxi. He's an outdoor adventurer and a mission-driven entrepreneur. His story is pretty remarkable. Davis came up with the wild idea to start this apparel company while he was sleeping. And somehow, only a few years later, Cotopaxi has made a name for itself in an industry that is saturated with iconic outdoor brands. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. To fully appreciate Davis's story, it's important to know a little bit about his background and what inspires him. Davis spent a lot of his childhood in Latin America and his parents were committed to serving others and to getting outside. He learned from their example, and these values eventually helped shape his vision for Cotopaxi. Davis Smith, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living.
1: Thanks, Shelby. I'm really excited about this.
0: So, I wanted to start with just growing up in Latin America. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Latin America in my last job. How did you know you were living so differently than? other kids, and you had a little bit more privilege? Because that's hard to recognize when you're young. Uh,
1: it is. Um, you know, it's interesting. So my my mom is Canadian, and my my father is American. But we, we moved to Latin America when I was four years old. So maybe in the first few weeks that we lived there, seeing a poverty that just It was completely shocking to me. Even as a four-year-old, I knew something was wrong. And I I didn't come from a family that had much wealth. Like when we moved to the United States when I was a teenager, we were on like subsidized lunch program. Like I did not come from money. But when we lived in Latin America, it felt like we had so much. And I remember seeing children my age, three, four years old, completely naked on the sides of the street. So from a very very early age, I I really understood how lucky I was. And my parents did a good job of helping us understand we weren't better, we weren't smarter, we weren't harder working, we weren't more deserving or more ambitious in some way. They all had dreams and hopes too. They They were born in a place that would provide them very little opportunity. And we just by chance happened to have been born in a place that would give us opportunity throughout our life. And so... Yeah, it was a big part of my childhood.
0: What country did you move to?
1: We moved to the Dominican Republic. So we lived in Santo Domingo in the capital. Lived there for a few years. Then we moved to Puerto Rico, where we lived for five years. And then we moved to South America. And then I spent a lot of years in South America.
0: That's so interesting. What brought your parents there?
1: You know, it's interesting. My dad was actually, he was a Mormon missionary when he was 19, 20, and 21 years old in Argentina. Wow. And so he he learned Spanish. And so you know, when he came back and finished university and started working, he was working as a builder and as an engineer. And he heard of an opportunity to go work in Latin America and use a Spanish. And he thought it'd be a a really unique opportunity for his kids and for his family. And so that's why we moved there.
0: It's really interesting. I want to talk to you about that background, because having grown up with missionary parents, like, and you have a mission-based company, it's just kind of been in your blood since you were a kid. Also, I think what's really interesting is I think I heard you say this on another podcast, but if you were a missionary, you probably got a lot of no's and a lot of doors closed in your face.
1: Yes, I was a missionary as well. Um, I, I moved to Bolivia when I was nineteen and lived there till I was twenty-one. I was a full-time missionary. I spent—it's pretty strict. Six thirty a.m. every morning, and I'd go to bed at ten thirty every night. And there's no days off, no vacation for two years. You work every single day helping others and it is in some ways a beautiful experience but in some ways painful you know it's something that you you feel very deeply you're very passionate about and um, you get rejected a lot and you do learn to deal with rejection you do learn how to listen and to adapt a message and you know I think it was a great training ground for me in being an entrepreneur dealing with rejection and also learning how to how to pitch something, how to sell a vision and an idea uh, that you really believe in, that a lot of others maybe not see that same vision. And so there's definitely some parallels there that are, that are fun.
0: Seems like you have a pretty good capacity for empathy as well.
1: You know, I grew up in a home that we loved the outdoors. My dad was an absolute adventurer. I mean, we had, it seemed like every weekend there was some adventure planned, whether it was climbing, you know, summiting some big volcano in, in the Andes or... We made our own raft and floated the Amazon and, and fish for piranha, or we'd go survive on uninhabited islands and make our own spears and spear fish. Wait, go
0: back. You'd fish for piranha?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't
0: that like the deadliest thing you could ever do?
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You can swim with piranha. They don't really mess with people. But the fishing is interesting because it's, you know, for anyone that's like a fly fisherman, you understand like it's about stealth and quiet, you know, you're kind of quiet and you kind of, you know, you kind of stalk the fish and you you don't want them to necessarily see you with Piranha, it's very different. You actually, you have a stick with like a a fishing line on it and then you have a hook where you just put some meat or something. And then you take the stick and you just violently splash the water as as much as you can. And within seconds, there's hundreds of piranha jumping all over the hook and the meat. But when you're swimming in the water, like you're, you know, maybe if you were bleeding, it would be different. But uh, yeah, there's no issues Yeah, I mean, this was my childhood, though. It was like these crazy, and I thought this was normal. You know, I thought this was normal behavior. (laughs) So, but I developed a deep love for the outdoors and for adventure. But I think more importantly, I developed a deep empathy for others. And my mom, while my dad was planning adventures, my mom was planning service. And it was, we spent a lot of time visiting orphanages, giving back to our community. And again, we didn't have much, but it felt like we had so, so much.
0: Since he was a kid, Davis has been an adventurer. He and his dad and brothers are intense backpackers. They go on trips where they intentionally don't bring anything to eat, where they have to fish and gather their food in the wild. Davis also loves getting out on the water. Just a couple of years ago, he actually kayaked from Cuba to Florida. He knows firsthand that serious adventure requires great gear. But when Davis started Cotopaxi, he didn't just want to make more stuff. He wanted to make a difference. You always had this background in a little bit in the outdoors and in missions, like doing missions and being of service to other people. How did you know, how did you know you wanted to start a mission-based company?
1: Yeah, so, you know, when I was in college, I had a I, I discovered a mentor, a man who I'd read about, and his name's Steve Gibson, and he started a, a nonprofit in the Philippines that was pulling people out of poverty through entrepreneurship. And he'd been a successful entrepreneur. He was about sixty years old, so kind of a retirement age, but had dedicated his life to fighting poverty in the Philippines. And i I tried to convince him to let me go work for him, and I wanted to expand his program from the Philippines to Latin America where I'd grown up. and um, I gave him the whole spiel in his office and you know the whole time he's smiling and nodding. and in my head I'm thinking, I'm nailing this. like I'm gonna get to go work for my idol. And at the end he he told me he's like, Davis, I, I love and can feel the passion that you have around helping people, and I love that. But what I see in you is you wouldn't you shouldn't go work in a nonprofit. You should go find a way. you should be an entrepreneur. And if you can do that successfully, you'll find a way to make a difference in the world in a much bigger way than if you worked for me. And it was really great advice. And I'd never honestly considered myself an entrepreneur. I hadn't really thought of that as a career option. But it really, it triggered something inside of me. And I started exploring a few different ideas. Two of the ideas had a social mission attached to a business. I tried both of them. Neither of them really worked. They didn't go anywhere. But then I had another idea that did work. It was a a small business a very random business called pooltables.com. And it's exactly what you think it is. Uh, so, but I started building that with my cousin, and we did a million in sales our first year. So it, it took off. And you know the internet was pretty new at this point. This is in 2004. And we just had a really wonderful experience together. But there was no social mission attached to the business. And all of our passwords were connected to social impact. That's like all I could think about. It was like on my mind constantly. But I didn't know how to blend the two the two things, business and impact. Fast forward a few years, we sold the business. I went to business school. And when I was at, in business school, I was at the Wharton School. I had a few classmates that were very entrepreneurial as well. Um, the founders of Warby Parker, the founder of, uh, of Allbirds, were, they were classmates of mine. And they were building impact into their business and it was amazing to me how they were tying these two things together. And it really inspired me. And so when I graduated from business school, I moved down to Brazil and I built a business there. And again, hadn't figured out exactly how to have impact, but I was starting to watch Tom Shoes and Warby Parker and these other brands that were building impact into their businesses. And when I was living in Brazil, it just, it clicked one night as I was laying in bed, I was, i had made a, a New Year's resolution that I wanted to find a way to change somebody's life. And it was May. I was feeling a little discouraged that... Honestly, I'd spent 10 years of my life building businesses, and I, I hadn't figured it out. It was discouraging. I was frustrated that I I wasn't doing something more meaningful. And as I laid in bed, I, I started having some ideas come to my mind around how I might be able to blend this passion for entrepreneurship with this passion for doing good. And over 36 hours, I got out of bed that night. I, I sat on the couch all night, all the next following day and the next night. And over that 36 hours, the idea for Cotopaxi kind of came together.
0: So just sort of downloaded. Like, I'm really curious how wild ideas come to be. And for some people, they see signs. And for other people, it's like a dream. And for others, it's like a slow build and then a big waterfall. Take me yeah. through this process a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, it's an interesting one because I'd had 10 years of experiences that I was kind of, I was leveraging uh, without knowing, but I was leveraging those 10 years of experiences to go build something Really interesting, and but it all came together over a very short period. I was like half awake, half asleep. It was almost like when that first idea started coming to my head, it was almost like part dream, but part awake. And that's when I rolled over and I started typing some of these ideas in my phone because I didn't want to forget them. And I thought I'd go back to sleep and come back to it in the morning. But the ideas just kept coming, and my my mind was racing in a way that I couldn't I couldn't stop. And so again, it was ten years of buildup, or maybe a whole lifetime. It was like I think I was 34 at the time, maybe. So 34 years of experiences that all kind of culminated into this one moment. And, you know, I'm a religious person. I do feel it was an inspired moment, a spiritual moment for me, where it was something that I longed for and hoped for and prayed for for much of my life. And to have it all come together the way it did, it really did feel inspired to me.
0: So, when it came to you, was it like how clear was it? Was it like coloring book outline, or was it filled in with color? Oh no!
1: Oh no! It was like I—I mean, I have—I took a very detailed journal those days, like those first few days, and I, I had incredible detail. Like if I go back and and I read it, actually, often I go back to those writings, and it's amazing how specific it was and how in line, what we're doing today is with that original vision. I mean, I I knew the name of the brand. I knew I wanted a llama in the logo. I had our slogan, gear for good, uh, was identified in those 36 hours. And then you know, an outdoor brand, I identified that I wanted to focus on really packs and apparel was like the, the two big categories that I felt would work well. As an e-commerce business, you know, fit is a big a big challenge. So there are certain products that seem to fit well. Packs, you don't have to return because they didn't fit you. Like they generally are made to fit any type of body. And then outerwear, you know, generally people know their size, small, medium, large, extra large, and it's just a lot easier to fit. And so as an e-commerce, a digitally first brand, I felt those were products that would work. And so... There was obviously a lot of detail that needed to get filled in over the years, but it's amazing how in a very short period of time, I really understood what this business needed to do.
0: I love learning how people find their wild ideas. Sometimes they come full throttle in the middle of the night. That's why I always keep a pen and paper at my bedside table. When we come back, Davis tells us how he turned his wild idea into a reality. He also talks about Cotopaxi's impactful social programs and the amazing marketing campaign that he used to launch the brand. Spoiler alert, it involved real live llamas. Davis saw financial success with his first attempts at entrepreneurship, but something was always missing. While he had a talent for business, he was also committed to making a positive change in the world. So when Davis dreamed up Cotopaxi, it felt like a way to honor both, and it ended up being a way to honor the places that meant a lot to him, too. Why the name Cotopaxi? Like, what? I mean, that's a, it's a place. Does it have resonance to you?
1: yeah it's a very special name to me. I lived in Ecuador as a kid and as a teenager, and my dad and I used to go backpacking at the base of this volcano called Cotopaxi and it's uh, it's a it's an equi- one of the few equatorial glaciers. It's one of the highest volcanoes active volcanoes in the world. It's a nineteen thousand around nineteen thousand four hundred feet. And uh, I spent a lot of time there. It was the first place I saw llamas in the wild. I remember we were we were camping at the base of, of Cotopaxi and we woke up in the morning and there were some llamas that were kind of running through our camp. And it was just a bizarre experience you know, to, to see these animals, yeah. these majestic, beautiful animals that are very different than anything you normally see. So I've always just been kind of fascinated with the animal that lives. They live up in such high altitudes. They always are in herds. They're never on their own. They love being in groups. And I just identified with that. I just felt like that is symbolic, I think, of this brand that I want to build, this brand that's about adventure and it's a little bit different and quirky, but like, it's about a herd. It's about, you know, sticking together to go make a difference in the world. So that was a, you know, I, I really wanted that llama to be part of our brand identity.
0: Okay. So this was all in your download. You knew that it was going to be called Cotopaxi. You knew there was going to be llamas. You knew it was going to be mission-based. So how do you take this wild idea that comes to you and actually turn it into a reality?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this was this is where I didn't know exactly how to get started, right? So I'm I'm running my other business in Brazil and for a number of reasons I'm at a point where I'm thinking I need a change. And in some ways it was a dream come true. I was back in Latin America, living there with with my wife and with our two girls, our two girls are speaking Portuguese and going to an international school. And it was like they were living this childhood that I hoped they would live because it was similar to what I had lived. And we had this jungle that, that surrounded a place where we lived. And they would every day they'd be out in the jungle playing in the trees. And it's like, yes, this is exactly what I dreamed for. And we were building this really interesting business. It was Brazil's startup of the year. And it it grew from four employees to like 300 employees in like 18 months. So it was just this this wild growth story. And at the same time, I knew I needed to leave. And... I was very afraid to leave, actually, and I was leaving behind everything I I knew. I'd put everything I owned, like, into that other business, and it, in some ways, it was my identity. You know, this thought of like leaving to go start something all over again at first was it was discouraging. It's like I didn't want to have to start all over again, and like starting a business is painful. It's there's so much risk involved, and I was worried about you know, what if I didn't succeed? And it's, this is going to be a hard business. And if I fail, like, what are people going to think of me? And all these, like, it may be irrational, but normal and hu- very human fears that I had in starting something new. But I made the commitment and um, I went and told my board that I wanted to resign from my, my role as co-CEO and my cousin was going to stay there and, and run the business. And I moved back to the United States and I went out to Silicon Valley and started pitching investors to see if they would back me. And I got a lot of rejection. I, I pitched over a hundred different investors, angel investors, VCs, impact investors, and got rejected by many of them. Um, but ultimately, had a really fantastic investor, Kirsten Green, in San Francisco with Four Hundred Ventures that backed us and led our first round. She believed in me and believed in this vision for the brand. And you know, I started building a team, uh, a really great early team that helped really kind of shape the brand. And and then. We have launched in a very unique way, uh, which I think helped in, a, in, in our local market, especially really helped put us on the map.
0: What, what year exactly did you guys launch?
1: We launched in April of 2014.
0: So 2014, like there's Patagonia, there's the North Face, there's Columbia, there's lots of companies that make backpacks and puffy jackets. Yeah. And you guys come along and you're like, no, we're going to be different.
1: Yeah. And this is where a lot of investors really... Had an issue with investing in us, and frankly i don't blame them. you know it, it wasn't an obvious business opportunity, but I mean, I had many investors that said we don't believe that there's an opportunity for you to in this space, Patagonia already exists, and uh, while your brand is different and you have a just slightly different vision in terms of impact, like you know patagonia they're trying to save the home planet, you know it's all environmental. And I love that. I'm very passionate about the environment. But for us, it's about saving humanity. It's, it's a focus on humanitarian work and on, I believe we can eradicate poverty. That's my life goal is I want to be part of this movement to eradicate extreme poverty. So that was my mission. But yeah, there's a lot of brands and really great brands in this space. So how do we do something really different?
0: Wait, that's a giant, a giant goal. Like, eradicate poverty. That's that's hard. It's daunting. It's beautiful. But how can you do it with puffy coats and backpacks? Yeah.
1: And I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I'm thinking about it. So first of all, say like we are, we are living in an amazing time. 200 years ago in 1820, and keep in mind, humans have existed at this point for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But in 1820, 94% of the planet still lived in extreme poverty. This is under $1.90 a day in today's dollars. So almost everyone on the planet is living in extreme poverty, including here in the United States. And when I was born in 1978, I'm 43, only 40% of the world was living in extreme poverty. And when I graduated from high school, it was 18%. The last few years, it's dipped below 10%. It's like 9%. 9% of the world lives in extreme poverty. I mean, what an amazing time to live in where we only have this remaining 9% where we can go tackle together as a global community and say, this needs to get fixed. This is not right. It's not right that people among us are dying because they're drinking dirty water that they don't have access to basic education or basic health care, that women are dying giving birth to children in places where they just, they shouldn't have to be doing that. And so I'm really inspired by this idea of finding ways that we can all contribute to that. And I believe business has a huge role to play and a huge responsibility. And we need to change capitalism. Capitalism has been an amazing tool to pull people out of poverty, but it leaves people behind and it destroys the planet. And we have to think differently about business and what our purpose is and how we do it. And that's what I'm hoping that we can we can be a part of.
0: Davis has some big ambitions with his company. From the start, he was determined to make his idea work. He knew that Cotopaxi's target consumers were going to be young people, people that really care where their products come from and how they're made. So to catch the attention of a younger generation davis and his team came up with a pretty wild launch campaign okay so let's talk about the early marketing there's like a lot of companies trying to market to kids so the first thing you do is buy llamas on craigslist which is (laughs) Mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so this was kind of a a unique idea. But, you know, I think one thing that was really important, we weren't going to be targeting a very young demographic. Uh, At the time, it was millennials. Now it's Gen Z. But I understood these consumers, they don't need to be pitched to buy another product. They want to be part of a movement. They want to be part of something. They want to go have experiences. And so I thought, if we're going to go build a brand that's built around this idea of having purpose and mission... Like, let's not just go try to sell young people things. Let's, let's involve them in this mission. And so um came up with this idea of a scavenger hunt that we called the Questival, this 24-hour adventure race where we gave people uh, hundreds of challenges to choose from, but they were around spending time in the outdoors. It might be, you know, build your own shelter and sleep in it or camp. And depending on, how, on the difficulty, you got different points. So some people are like, hey, I've never even been camping before. I'm not going to go build a shelter and sleep in it. But I might sleep in my tent in my backyard. It's like, great, you get, you get points for doing that or giving service in the community. So all these challenges around serving and, and helping and cleaning up the community and, and volunteering. So the idea was, OK, we have this really f- fun thing. How are we going to get people to know about it? No one even knows we exist because we hadn't even turned on our website. So we went and bought llamas on the online classifieds and we we started taking them around college campuses here in Utah where we were based. And of course people started Gathering around these llamas and wondering why the llamas were on campus. And we never asked for permission, of course. We just showed up with the, with the llamas. And I remember uh, at BYU, where I went to undergrad, I remember after a few hours, the, the campus police rolled up in the golf cart. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is it. You know, they're going to arrest the llamas. And, Did they want pictures? Uh, yes, that's exactly it. The guy, the campus police officer walks out <laughs> and he comes over and says, Sir, can I take a selfie with your llama? And it was like, Are you kidding me? This is the craziest experience. So, But it was magical. That first festival, we had several thousand people participate. We had 30,000 social media posts the day of our launch, those 24 hours.
0: Do you still keep in touch with anybody who did those early races and won?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A, A lot of actually a lot of people. Our community really rallied around this experience and people start doing it every year. But yeah, that first, uh, there were a lot of those kids, some of them actually work for us now, but a lot of those young people that participated, they've stayed in touch over the years and some of them are working for other startups here in, in the area. But yeah, there's a few of them that I've actually stayed really close to.
0: Cotopaxi's apparel is made with high quality materials and it has a fun, funky aesthetic. They use leftover fabric and vibrant colors that mix and match to make some pretty wild combos. Behind the products themselves, you'll find a brand that really cares about the impact it's having. Many companies aim to do good, but it's often something extra, something nice to do after they've hit their revenue goals and quotas. Davis, on the other hand, has managed to make his personal values into central pillars of the business. So you're creating backpacks and coats and outerwear and, you know, there already is Patagonia, but you're like, we're going to shift the way we do business and be, in some ways, shift how capitalism works by putting impact at the center of our business. How do you see this happening and how are you making this happening? And, you know, it's tricky because clothing as a whole industry isn't the cleanest, most sustainable
1: Yeah, we thought about it very differently. You know, in terms of of how we make product, 94% of our product that we sold last year were made of remnant or recycled material or responsibly made material. These are leftover materials, cuts and other fabrics that are used by other outdoor brands. All the outdoor brands that we've talked about or that you can think of in your head they use the same factories as us, and there's so much waste that's created. And so we found ways to go use that, those remnants to go make great product. But more than just using the remnants, we actually wanted to empower the people behind the product. These are the, the unsung heroes of the outdoor industry, the people that actually make our gear. They're incredible artisans, incredible craftsmen, and these sewers never get a choice in what to sew. Like they'll just sew the same thing over and over and over again for some outdoor brand. And we just felt there was a better way to do this. Again, being very people-centric and thinking about people and the impact that our brand has on people. We thought, what if we gave them the choice to go design the bags? And all of a sudden, it was like light in their eyes. And like passion because they were creating and you could see the personality of each sewer in their bags. Some are choosing these darker colors, others choosing these really bright colors, and they're switching out the bobbin in the sewing machine to get just one little stitch a different color than another one. And so it was a really powerful story. And of course, consumers love this idea of having a bag that's unique to them that no one else has, but has this really rich story behind it as well. And so this might
0: be a little personal, Davis, but I'm just curious. Are you also paying these sewers a little more than the yeah. other brands are?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is something that we're really passionate about, is making sure that we're aligned with places where people are paid fairly. So a number of our factories are fair trade, meaning that they are paid, you know, we this is something we measure, we track and make sure that these sewers are paid better than normal. And actually at a fair trade factory, we actually pay two percent on top of the invoice price. And those dollars go into a pool of capital that the sowers, they have a committee that they get to choose where to use that money. And so one of the factories, they have like computers where they, they, they bought with that money and their, their kids come after school and they can learn computer skills. Um, we have English classes that are taught. We have like at one of the factories breakfast that's that's made every day from that money. So you know, there's, they can choose how they want to use those funds. But, you know, one thing that I think is really important is that we don't have a cookie cutter answer for every factory. We go in and we ask them what they need and we listen and we try to find out ways that we can have an impact. And so one of our factories, we have a community garden that we help fund where they have like about an acre of land where they have fruits and vegetables that grow and they can they can take these back home. So what's
0: Cotopaxi's like big mission now? I mean, it's still the same company, but you've had, you know, a couple years in business now. What do you you most excited about where do you see the brand kind of moving
1: yeah yeah so you know the the brand has definitely grown and uh, and evolved in some ways but the one thing that we've say true to from the very beginning is our social mission of eradicating poverty and last year we helped 1.2 million people living in poverty through our business and it's the thing i'm most proud of we use our profits to go fund these amazing nonprofits that focus on poverty. We focus on healthcare, education, and livelihood training. Those are the three pillars that we believe are inextricably linked to poverty alleviation. And then we can go use our supply chain, and we employ refugees here in our local community in Utah. If you order something from us, you'll get a handwritten thank you card written by a refugee in their native language. They join a job club where we help them create a resume and build uh, job skills and practice doing job interviews. And so, you know, we have all these ways of having impact.
0: I'm inspired by Davis's multifaceted approach to eradicating poverty. The company provides fair wages to sewers, they use recycled materials, and they provide opportunities for refugees. In addition, all of Cotopaxi's venture capital investors have been women. This is a big deal, because women make up less than 5% of venture capitalists. For Cotopaxi, these efforts are part of a larger mission to make the world a better, more equitable place. I love that Davis and his team are thoughtful about how to grow and sustain a mission-based business. So advice to other entrepreneurs, because I know there's a lot of people listening who want to start their own business and starting a business is really terrifying. What's the best advice you give now to entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, so maybe a few things. And I'm still learning as well. You know, I'm, I'm on this journey along with you and everyone else that started something. And uh, I will say it is so fulfilling and so satisfying to go create. And one of my favorite quotes is by a man named Dieter Uchtdorf. And he says, the desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. And I believe that's true. It's all embedded inside of our DNA to go create and to build. And I, I just love that thought. And for some people, it might be music or art. Or for people like me, it might be building a brand or a business. But for those that are feeling this desire to go build something of their own and go create, there's a few things that I would think about. Number one, build mission and purpose into what you do. It makes it so much more fulfilling, even that much more fulfilling when you go build something that really, truly matters. And I think, you know, Shelby, it's interesting, like what you do, it's like, it's such an inspiring thing because you can go shape minds. You can shape, you can tell stories that impact the world and how we think. And so you have this really, loud megaphone that you can communicate messages that matter. And so I, and I'm and i sure you can identify with this idea of like, when you have something that really has purpose, it just makes it so much better. And people want to be part of that. People want to be, they want to work for that type of organization. They want to be, they want to rally to support you. Maybe it's as an investor or as, as a coworker, but I think that really matters. Number two, I'd say surround yourself with good people. It doesn't matter how smart someone is or how good they are at their job. If they're not a good human, it's just not fun. And so surround yourself with good, kind people. I think one of the most underutilized tools in business and frankly in life is love. And so don't be afraid to love people. And I think it really matters. Like when you are working at a place where people care about each other and you can have big ambitions and you can want to win and you can have have high expectations of each other, but when you love each other, it makes a big, big difference.
0: So much of Davis's business is driven by love, love for the planet and love for the people who inhabit it. Davis, thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas. I loved talking with you and it was fascinating to hear about your practical approach to making the world better for everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Davis and Kotopaxi, go to kotopaxi.com or Kotopaxi on social media. That's C-O-T-O-P-A-X-I. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative, and our senior producers, Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motula and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow the show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen, when you follow your wildest ideas.